Ladies and gentlemen, boys and girls, welcome to the broadcast. I've got to be a little bit quiet tonight. I can't be as shouty as I normally am because it's currently 2am and I don't want to wake my neighbours up. And I am in mourning. I've put on my nicest black t-shirt from Walmart and my only pair of black jeans because I've just been made aware that Wilco's has died. How do I describe Wilco's to a non-British person? Wilco's is a shop where you basically only buy cheap bird seed and pick and mix that wasn't priced a literal extortion. First they took Woolies from us, then they took Wilco's. Next it'll probably be Home Bargains. Ah, I miss Home Bargains. I don't think I went when I was in back in the UK last year. For anyone not from the UK, this is a very this is a very UK centric opening. But think of a shop where you can buy a pack of rainbow drops, a flump, a garden shed, a hairy biker's air fryer, some keg of some craft beer called like cold wheat or some other shit pun, a Christmas tree and a space hopper all for about 28 quid 50 in the middle of March. It is the greatest shop in the UK. No, it's the greatest shop in the world. I've also just realized that as people not from the UK to imagine something, and then the first two things I mentioned were two incredibly niche British sweets. Anyway, this is episode three, but let's be honest, it is really episode two. Last week's episode was a complete write-off. I could not get my microphone to work, so I had to use my ma- my backup USB microphone, and the audio was blown out to high heavens. But I've committed to a weekly podcast, and I'm not going to fault the first hot hurdle, goddammit. But the positive of last week is that my list pretty much carried over because I only talked about Monza. Everything else I wanted to talk about is still here. I've added some things. And for the first weekend, I have zero F1 to talk about, at least in a race capacity, as it's an off week. We do have Singapore incoming, which could be interesting. Max Verstappen has never won the Singapore Grand Prix and has only ever stood on the podium once, where he finished second in 2018. Lando Norris came out and said that this is the closest McLaren have been to winning a race in five years. The quote, I think, is, I would say we're also the closest we've ever been in over the last five years. So if there's any time to believe we're getting closer to winning races, it's now. Has he forgotten that the McLaren in 2021 that occasionally slapped? They got a 1-2 in Monza, the only 1-2 of the 2021 season, I might add. And then they were on course to get a second win at the, in Russia the following weekend until it started raining and they shouted his race engineers to shut up when the pit wall suggested intermediate tyres and subsequently aquaplaned and finished seventh. Helmet Marco was back in the news again. I'm just going to have to have a Helmet Marco dedicated segment every week. I'm going to... What even is his job at Red Bull? Is he like a consultant or some other made-up shit? Like, all it seems like he does is he stands around in the pits and gives Red Bull's PR team clean-up duty on a weekly basis. Basically, he came out and he said that Perez's lack of consistent driving is because he's South American, and that's why Verstappen and Vettel are champions. Let's just forget the fact that Verstappen sleeps in his Red Bull car and... Vettel is from the Hessen region of Germany, which is where the atomic element Darmstadium is discovered. And do you know what its atomic number is? 110. And what is, was Top's card 110 for last season? That's right, Sergio Perez. It's all connected.
What was I talking about? Oh yeah, Helmut Marco is in hot water because it's called Sergio Perez South American, but he said it in a kind of derogatory way. Sergio Perez is Mexican and Mexico is part of North America. Some people in the US will say, well, Mexico is Central America, grow up. North America does not end at the Rio Grande. So not only is he factually wrong here, South American drivers have also won, what, like 13 World Drivers' Championship? So it's just an unnecessary dig at Sergio Perez. And he isn't stupid. Helmut Margo has a PhD, I think. And to be fair, having a, P- having a degree doesn't make you smart. I would know. I have a degree and I left the industry two years later. Helmut Marco had to come out and apologize and quoted saying, I would like to apologize for my offensive remark. Well done, Helmut Marco, and shout out to his PhD. He also kind of insinuated that Sergio Perez having a family means he isn't really that arsed about F1 and his other priorities because in order to be motivated by Helmut Marco, you have to sleep upside down like a bat, have zero friends and family outside of the sport, and be left at the gas station when you were, like what, like six? That is the making of a real champ. To be fair, he also then got reined in by the FIA telling him to basically shut the fuck up. Sky Sports have gotten onto the bandwagon of undermining Max beating Sebastian Vettel's record. Jensen Button came out and since said that Lewis Hamilton is better because his teammates were of a higher caliber compared to Max Verstappen, who's never really had a com- competent teammate, which is a fact, let's be fair. Max Verstappen is a Daniel Ricciardo who was decent but then run away, ran away as soon as Max Verstappen could challenge him. Then it was Pierre Gasly, who is on the front lines of the French Revolution, as we have previously discussed. Alex Albon, who got raised too hard and has an Instagram account for his pets. And finally, Sergio Perez, who, as Helmut Marco has said, has no business in Formula 1 because he has a family. Compare this to Lewis Hamilton's teammates, Fernando Alonso. Jensen Button, Nico Rosberg, all world champions. And then you've got Valerie Bottas. And Latte with any milk is fine. Both solid drivers. I feel like I'm missing someone in between Alonso and Button. Alonso left in 2007 and was involved in absolutely nothing controversial whatsoever after being bodied by Lewis. And then Button joined in 2010 after winning with Braun. So I'm missing two years. Was it Kovalainen? I have a feeling it was Kovalainen. What was I saying? Oh yeah, so had Monster Antibodies not retired in 2016 after winning the title, then maybe Lewis Hamlin wouldn't have gone on to win four championships in a row. I need to move on. I've spoken too much about F1, and this was a rest week for Christ's sake. What else we got? So Scotland and England played a friendly during the week to commemorate it being 150 years since Scotland last beat England. I'm kidding. Obviously we beat them in that 0-0 draw at the Euros in 2021. Both teams released heritage kits, however, unlike Scotland, England said they were not going to play in them, and that they would just wear them during the warm-up. Like, why? What's the point of even making them then? I don't think you can even buy it, so it's not like there's any reason not to play in it. It was a friendly, it's not like the kits had sponsors and had contracts in place because maybe it was Nike. It It was definitely Nike, let's be honest. The Scottish fans booed God Save the King and the gammons on Twitter started crying about it as per. It's not like the English fans haven't booed another other national anthems in the past. But what if Camilla reads it? Shut up. 
I slander the royal family and hope they see it. So they know they're a bunch of tax-dodging, nonce-harboring parasites that threw a massive party for one bloke to start his job while the rest of the country is in a cost-of-living crisis. And now the gamins on Twitter are thinking they got one up on Scotland because, well, we booed the national anthem and then they lo- we lost 3-1. We were always going to lose that match, Stephen from Ipswich. Let me tell you something. When the Scottish people say we hate England, that is not directed towards the country or the people. The country is lovely as long as you're north of Birmingham and south of about Stevenage. And the vast majority of English people are great. You have some cunts, but so do we. So, it is what it is. Our we hate England is directed at three entities. Number one, the monarchy number two, Westminster, and number three, the English football team. The hatred of the monarchy is pretty divisive, as feelings towards the royals is pretty mixed, but it's kind of split across generational lines. But the general sentiment in Scotland is that it's unfair that one family can accumulate mountains of wealth and be supported by the state, while millions of people are having to choose between feeding their family or heating their home. Also, the fact that their estate is conveniently exempt from the inheritance tax doesn't really bring them much favour. Westminster is the easy one. Scotland leans more left politically than England does, who at its core is a conservative country anyway, and it takes the Tories massively fucking up to lose power. And we've seen that time and time again with Westminster only really showing that they care about London and occasionally Manchester. And finally, the English national team, but that's more to do with having 1966 rammed down our throats constantly by the pundits than anything else. And now for the worst segue known to man. Do you know what's also based inside the M25 apart from Buckingham Palace, Westminster and Wembley? The UK version of Big Brother, which is set to start filming next month. Speaking of Big Brother, yes, I am a professional and I will not let car crash segues happen. I said I was going to watch this season Big Brother in episode 1, so I caught up this week, and I do what I always do when I need to catch up on something. I lock myself in a closet in the dark with a bottle of Old Forester and a 12-pack of Ziegenbock, and I don't stop until the job is done. Now, I've been enjoying the season so far. The pressure cooker challenge coming back was great, but I'm coming into Big Brother with a survivor brain. And I don't think this season's going to really be that great on a rewatch. Sari is far and away god-tier TV. She's too good at this game. It's making me want to go back to watch her Survivor seasons again. And it seemed like a good number of the house guests knew who she was. So how the hell did she not come in with a target the size of Spain as soon as she walked into the house? It would be like if Paul from like what, nine, what 18 and 19 had walked on a survivor and just no one thought to target him. The multiverse thing is kind of gimmicky, but that is kind of a Big Brother feature, is gimmicks. If I was on Big Brother, I'm not sure that I could talk with much conviction about the multiverse shite, like the rest of them do. Which is a fun fact, I was in the casting pool for The Circle in the UK in 2020 before production got axed, because some bloke scrammed a bat. Then the show got canned after that season, so deductive reasoning would suggest that if I was cast on the show, then it would still be airing and Emma Willis would still have a job. I was very transparent in my cast interview that I wanted to go in and play the villain. I wanted to stir shit up, and they were scared. And it definitely was not the fact that by the time production had returned, I no longer lived in the UK and was ineligible. 
nothing to do with that. Getting back to Big Brother, I've kind of two issues with uh, th- with this season. I'm going to have to go back and watch other seasons to see if it's a Big Brother thing or if it's a season 25 thing. And one of them is kind of to do with how the contestants talk. And the first thing is the long drawn out edits of the competitions because they take away from other parts of the game. And just the long winding explanations from the house guests. That veto competition that they did for that other CBS show where they had to spin around for like 30 seconds and then play ski ball must have been about 45 minutes when it was air- aired on TV. And it was shit. They're trying to condense hours and hours of content into three 45-ish minute episodes a week for people that don't watch the live feeds. So showing a bit less of the competition allows for more strategy or context to moves or drama to be shown. I don't need to hear every single house guest explain every tiny minute detail of what they did during a competition. It's pointless. The other issue I have is the diary room clips where they're obviously being fed lines by production. I, re- I really liked Heisem because you could always tell when when it was a line that he was saying versus a line that he was being fed by production. And I like most of the cast, but outside of a major shift in power happening, it's pretty obvious who the finalists are. The Big Brother house is in LA on the west coast of the US. Do you know what else has a western name? The AL West. Yes, that's right. I am a professional. The AL West is heating up to like warm really it was a two horse race all season then the mariners have decided to show up for it after being what like seven or eight games down at the all-star break then they caught up and now all three teams feel like they are slipping on banana peels one team will win and then the other two will lose but then the other two will win and the first team will lose rinse and repeat the astros got swept by the yankees at home and the rangers lost both series to the twins and the Mariners have been con- pretty consistently good but losing games that they really should have won the astros took the series against the rangers and dallas and they still have to play the Mariners in seattle and the rangers and Mariners still have to play each other twice so this is going to end up being a volatile end to the season if one team doesn't put a better ground on the other two because we're currently in a situation where one of those teams losing a game or two is plunging them into the depths of hell, also known as fourth in the wildcard standings. As it stands right now, the Astros are ahead by half a game of the Rangers and the Mariners, a game and a half back. The Astros lost this series to a 100-loss A's team at home. The Rangers just swept the Blue Jays, it looks like, and the Mariners took the series against the Angels. Coming up, the Astros are away to the Royals, which they should win. The Rangers are away to the Guardians, which they should win, but hopefully don't. And the Mariners are at home to the Dodgers, which could be a toss-up because neither team has really been that great over the past 10 games to half a month. But anyway, this could be an interesting weekend in the chase. Speaking of the Astros, they made history a couple weeks ago for being the first team in MLB history to have their nine batter and one batter hit back-to-back home runs twice in one game. But you can make a first team to do X statistic out of pretty much anything if you just make it specific enough. There was one earlier in the season where Justin Verlander and Max Scherzer 
were the first Cy Young winners to be teammates, then face each other in the same season playing for different teams than the team they were teammates on. This is like some of the pointless shite that Crofty pulls out in F1 when the race is a bit shit. Right, sports, that's enough sports. What's going on in the news? Mila Kunis, Ashton Kutcher, backlash. Oh yeah, so they wrote character letters to the judge asking for a convicted rapist to be given a lighter sentence. I'm not going to say his name because fuck him. Then they had to release an apology video which was heavily PR'd and almost comes across as whoops, we didn't realise this letter was public information. Please accept our non-apology because we do support victims even though we got caught doing literally the opposite. But a lot of the criticism is coming from the fact that they've both done a lot of charity work for sex trafficking victims and writing in support of someone who was just convicted of rape is incredibly hypocritical and that's kind of all I'll say about that. I don't really have much more to say. Taylor Swift, private jet. Oh yeah, so Taylor Swift's been getting a bit of criticism for the amount of private jet use she has had this year after being uh, an alleged climate activist. Now, I know there are some people that are too famous to fly commercially, and Taylor Swift is definitely in that bracket. I mean, look at that shit show that happened when she went to a wedding in New Jersey. They were blocking traffic. They were chanting like a cult. They were setting up burning effigies of every one of her exes. They spat in my dog's face. Okay, they didn't do that last year, but you get what I mean. Now, as I just said, I understand that she really can't fly commercially and she probably couldn't tour by bus either because the psychotic members of her fan base would probably try and stop the bus to meet her by threatening to eat the head of their pet cat. But she doesn't need two private jets. One is mostly only used by her family and friends anyway, so what's the point of it? Is it me? She could just fill out her private jets as much as possible and not have them going back and forth to pick people up. And it shouldn't be flown with no one outside the pilot on it to store it somewhere less expensive. Now, what the Swifties will say to justify is, it's fine, she pays to offset the carbon from her private jet. And I've done some investigative journalism into what carbon offsets are. Are you ready for the journalism? So, there are certain projects whose purpose are to either A, reduce carbon emissions, or B, remove carbon directly from the atmosphere. Some examples being like planting trees, or changing from being powered to coal to being powered by solar. And there are a few non-profit organizations that will come in and audit these projects to ensure what they're saying is accurate. Estimate the amount of tons of carbon they save and then issue them carbon credits equal to the amount of tons of carbon that was saved. Let's give an example. So let's say that I plant 10 trees. One of these non-profit organizations then come and audit me, estimates that these 10 trees have removed 10 tons of carbon from the atmosphere and award me 10 carbon credits because of it. I then can sell these carbon credits to Liberty Media. It means that then Liberty Media can claim these 10 tons worth of carbon credits and remove them from their carbon account and can use it to claim that they are carbon neutral or net zero. I'm sure you have seen that F1 wants to be net zero by 2030. However, for a project to be deemed reliable, it has to fill some form of criteria. And number one is the effects and the reductions need to be 
relatively permanent, let's say for like 100 plus years. And this is where my two examples of the solar power and trees are great examples. Number two is that the project needs to be supplementary on top of something, which means that it can't have been created using carbon finance. So let's say the government gave me a hefty rebate to install solar panels onto my house. I can't then turn around and use them to sell carbon credits to businesses. You cannot earn credits on actions that would have happened anyway. Number three, and this is the big one, carbon credits cannot be double dipped. Two companies cannot claim the same credits. So my example from earlier, Liberty Media cannot claim the credits and then subsequently sell them onto another company that also claims them. Now, carbon credits are not a perfect system and they're more intended to be used to clean up reductions after naturalized reductions have already taken place. Taylor's private jet is a good example of when you would use carbon offset as there's not really a good alternative for her right now because we're still many, many years away from net zero planes if ever. The issue, however, is that carbon offsets are largely used in greenwashing efforts and they're used by companies and individuals to pay back bad behavior rather than like naturally trying to minimize the amount of carbon they're sent into the atmosphere in the first place. Carbon credits were intended to be like the final piece of the puzzle, not the entire puzzle. Like, you've reduced your carbon emissions through ways of, like, buying less plastic or walking or cycling shorter trips or forgetting that 71% of the world's carbon emissions are being caused by 100 companies. Carbon credits were being used as a way to reduce carbon emissions after you've reduced them already, not for you to just throw money at them and pay back the damage you've did. It's a bit like if you tweeted homophobic tweets in the past that got dug up so then you donate to an, a pro-LGBTQIA plus organization like the action itself is good to correct something bad but that doesn't negate what you did I need to wrap this up I'll be back next week thank you and bye for now